Welcome to another Virial USA podcast. This is Alan. I'm joined by Zach in North Carolina. And we have a special guest, Ian Morris um, of Celta USA, who's joining us all the way from Vigo. Welcome, Ian. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you? Well, we're, we're good. We're, we're kind of um, going a little stir crazy here. At least I am because we got six inches of snow on Monday along with um, stuff telling us we should stay in place. So we've been doing that. <laughs> What's it like there? Um, well, as uh, you guys may or may not be aware, uh, the folks listening to the podcast, um, I actually do live in uh, in Spain right now. I'm from the U.S. Um, and on Saturday, um, the president of the country kind of came out and told everyone that a mandatory quarantine, with very few exceptions, like going to the grocery store, was being implemented. So ever since Saturday... I have left my house once. I went to the grocery store and the pharmacy this morning. And uh, so, yeah, I've got a lot of free time on my hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so CELTA is a huge deal in, in Vigo, I, w- I would think. And the fact that the – I know I've seen you posting and other people – I guess I've seen CELTA posting – Things on on uh, Twitter and so forth, showing Yago Aspas, you know, playing with his with his son and things like that. Are people must be really weird not having um, not having the matches though. It is, it is, and um, especially with how Celta was playing before this um, kind of shutdown of the league and of the country as a whole. Uh, there was a lot of optimism, a lot of, you know, good good feelings around the team. Uh, we had gotten a draw at Getafe. We had beaten Sevilla and Leganes, gotten a draw at Real Madrid in the weeks prior to to this. Uh, well, I don't know if it's an unexpected development, but it is something that hit very, very, uh, very fast and very uh, has affected how things are going in, in the country and the league as a whole. So, yeah, it was kind of disappointing for us because we had uh, our first home game in three weeks coming up, uh, what would have been last weekend against you guys, against Villarreal. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely kind of, would have kind of, been. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was pretty – I was feeling good about the game, but uh, obviously we're going to have to put that on hold for, for a while now. Right. Yeah, you would have been facing a team that had just lost to Leganes at home. I think you would have, if you hadn't been confident, I would have would have wondered. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's it, it has gone from being this sort of thing that seemed a world away or half a world away to being serious to being really serious to where we are now, and it's it's. Uh, you know, who knows when when things got back to normal? Who knows what happens with the league? Um, UEFA postponed Euro 220 to 2021, so that gives the leagues a little more time to complete their calendar. But there are all sorts of issues to be discussed. And as I was reading this morning, somebody was saying, you know, you can't just shut the league down for several weeks and then say, okay, we're going to start right away. I mean, players need they they need the training that they get together. They need the 
you, you can't just expect every to flip a switch and have the league start again. So hard to know where where, where we'll go from that. Yeah, it actually Celta's um, team doctor. Uh, they they published an interview with him. Celta did today, and uh, he 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 talked about that. He said it's going to be impossible, you know, just to go from zero to to uh, to league action. So. Uh, depending on how long this lasts, I would expect probably at least a week, probably a couple of weeks of kind of like a mini training camp, maybe an exhibition game, uh, just to get this back on track. Because, like you said, you can't go from players only being able to to work out at home to to normal La Liga matches. So that'll be interesting to see in the future how how they uh, how they are able to solve that. Mm-hmm. So, Ian, I got a question for you. Um, so the, the the when I first wanted to bring you on the podcast, I saw it was when I saw you post something on Twitter about the wage gap disparity in La Liga. Uh, now, naturally, um, that's something that we're all on the. Um, that we're all kind of on the outs on as Villarreal and Celta fans. But, um, but what do you think the answer is to that? What do you think the answer is to us having two clubs that have so much more money? Really, I, I include Atletico Madrid on that list because they're twice as big as anybody else anyway. Three clubs that have all the and everybody else are kind of catching up. Yeah. Um, well, I think there are two things that are important to think about when we talk about this disparity. Number one is that for decades and decades, and especially now with with the impacts of globalization and the the access that there is now to La Liga across the world, uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona play on a different playing field. Uh, they're, they're global global clubs with huge global fan bases that compete in the champions every year. And, um, you know, between merchandise sales, licensing deals, sponsorships, uh, the competitions that they play in, et cetera, they have a ton of money. And no type of revenue sharing agreement is ever going to put teams like Villarreal and, and Celta on the same playing field as them. Uh, with that said, um, I think that a, a more equitative uh, distribution of TV money would be a good step. Uh, I know he's an unpopular figure and I'm not a big fan of him, but, uh, La Liga president Javier Tebas has talked, uh, recently about restructuring that agreement so that, um, it would be something more like what we see in the Premier League where, you know, the big clubs like Liverpool, Man United, Man City, etc. uh, they obviously have more money than the Watfords and the Burnleys of the world, but because that money is more equal, equally distributed, uh, the gaps that we see in La Liga uh, don't exist in that league. Um, and, you know, let's be honest, in in modern sports, modern soccer, modern, uh, you know, pick a sport, whatever sport you want, a lot of the money is in the TV. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, the, the, the agreement that La Liga has uh, currently favors Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, and maybe even Atletico a little bit uh, to to... to a higher degree than it does smaller clubs. Uh, so I think that is when we look at how to reduce that gap, that's 
uh, the 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 real obvious uh, the real obvious answer to that question. The thing about the TV agreement now, it, which is a lot better than it used to be, certainly, yeah, is that is that part of the rationale that I think um, was used to get it implemented was that it was negotiated at a time when La Liga was signing a new deal. And so the amount of money was getting quite a bit bigger. So that essentially Real Madrid and Barcelona in absolute terms, even though their share of the new, of the new pot was going down in absolute terms, they were still getting more money than they were before. And I think that that's the key for them is that they're looking at, at how they're doing relative to other big names in Europe. So it, it, if it turns out that La Liga is able to negotiate a new TV agreement that has even more revenue in it, then I think it's, then I think they have a, an easy incentive to agree. Um, what worries me is I think that gravy train, even before, um, <laughs> what looks like becoming a global recession, um, that gravy train was maybe coming to an end. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and you know, I, I I'm not going to pretend like <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a sports business person or an expert on the subject, but um, you know, you touched on a good point with what you just said. Uh, La Liga kind of has a vested interest, right, in in giving mm-hmm. Real Madrid and and Barca and Atletico to a certain extent uh, a big share of that pot because they want to win the Champions League every year. They want to do well in European competitions, so. Um, it's, it's a tough situation for the smaller minnows in the pond, but, um, it really would help if, if, you know, clubs like Celta and Villarreal were able to see a little bit more of that money. So I, I, I've got the numbers from 2018, 2019 on the TV money. Mm-hmm. And, um, let's see, Barcelona got 166 million. Um, Real Madrid got 155, Atletico Madrid got 119. The next highest number I see is Sevilla at 80, Valencia at 78, Villarreal is at 74, and let me see if I can find, and Celta is at 55. So I was going to say, my, my go, qu- go all the way down to the bottom. You'll find us there. <laughs> well, you're, you're not quite at the bottom. Actually, there's quite oh, a few yeah. clubs below you, uh, but I guess the question becomes, what do we do with the argument that realistically, when they sign a global TV deal, most people who subscribe to, you know, television streaming services to watch La Liga all the way around the world are doing so to watch Barcelona, Real Madrid, or Atletico Madrid. So what, what do we say to the argument that they're the straw, so they ought to get the biggest amount of money? Well, and, um, th- that's a valid point. That's something that were I a fan of one of those clubs that I would bring up in this argument. Um, but what I would say is that the gap between merchandise revenue, sponsoring, licensing deals, et cetera, is already so exaggerated that, you know, the La Liga is an entity in which 20 teams, you know, um, beneath the law, the, the letter of the law have the same rights, right? They have the, have the same rights to participate in the competition, um, to be governed by the same set of rules, etc. 
So why not extend that concept to the money? Why not? Um, you know, and I'm not saying that we take the gross amount earned by the TV deal, divide it by 20 and give the same amount to either league or sorry to either to each team because that's not realistic. Uh, but a more, a more equal distribution, I think would be fair. Um, taking into account the other inequalities that exist. I think one thing that's, that's, uh, that we were seeing this season, and I think we saw last season too, when I think back to when, um, I joined the Theory USA blog, which was 2010, 2011 season, there were, there were, the TV money was much more unequal then. And where that really played out was that you had, when the league season started, you could look at six teams that in the absence of just, you know, a really great coaching job or happening, happening to, you know, catch the, the new star of, of La Liga, um, you know, at an early period, you just knew that they were going to be struggling for survival because they had to put a roster together that was almost completely loanies and free transfers and things like that. And the, the difference I think with the, with the contract now is that even for teams that have, that are down below Delta in that, in that number, you know, if, if you're getting 40, 50 million, um, TV revenues, that compared to the old deal means that you can go out and you can pay 10 million euros for a player, um, which you couldn't do back in 2010, 2011. And I think the, if you ended up making it a more equal still, I think what you'd see is a further kind of what we're, what we've already seen in the last year and a half, which is that this, the battle for that to, in the middle of the pack to get between say sixth and, and, uh, 14th is much more competitive than it used to be. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely. Definitely. That's something. That, um, you know, you, you can be more or less critical of the, of the current deal, but that, the, but, but that's reality. Who knows, for example, if Getafe would be in the position that it's in right now, uh, under the, under the old system. It's, it's definitely, uh, something that has to be acknowledged. So, a question I have is, La Liga extends over the top two divisions. So the, the La Liga TV deal pays out money to everyone in both the first tier and the second tier in Spanish football. Right mm-hmm. now, the top division, as of 1819, the top division got 1.4 billion of the TV money, and, uh, the second division got about 205, uh, million, and the top three earning clubs were Malaga, uh, Las Palmas, and, uh, Daypor, and they all had uh, over 20 million and nobody else broke 10. So the question is, to what degree does this need to, when we're restructuring this, to what degree do we also need to boost the second division in their revenues? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, in, in Spain, like you said, uh, the first and second division fall under the umbrella of La Liga. Um, and technically they're the only two levels of professional soccer in the country. Uh, so, so that agreement uh, does extend to to the second division. Um, to answer your question, I'm not sure that I have a good response to that. Um, uh, you know, obviously, 
the 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 second league in Spain is just a completely different entity um, in terms of viewership, in terms of attendance, in terms of the teams that participate. Uh, right now, you have you do have some big historical clubs with big, big fan bases like uh, Real Zaragoza, Deportivo. Um, Malaga to an extent, not as, not as much of a historical club, but it is one with a big following. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why you do see numbers higher for teams like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, I think it's understandable the gap because ultimately playing in uh, the first division is a reward. Part of the reward for teams is the financial reward that, uh, that, that generates. Um, actually, when you gave me those numbers, I'm a little bit surprised that um, that the second division even earned as much as it did as a whole. Um, so I, I don't I don't think I necessarily have a problem uh, with with those figures. What I do think is that um, a little bit of a more equal distribution in in the first division would be nice to see. Well, so but I think the problem with those figures is. Uh, and I think the three clubs that had way more than everybody else, I think they were getting parachute payments. Um, I think that's, that's what that, what that was down to. Yeah. And, uh, so, but I mean, let's say, let's say Celtic, let's say Celtic got relegated this year. You're looking at one year where you're about 15 million below your TV revenue. And then if you don't bounce back up, then you're looking at losing another probably 20 million in TV revenue the year after that. And that's a hard, that's a hard curve for a club to survive. So in a pro- promotion relegation system, I understand the argument for playing in the first division, something you earn, but mm-hmm. you also don't want clubs and, and the people they employ to fall to pieces and lose their livelihoods entirely just because the team had a bad season. Sure. Um, and you know, I, I also think while your point is completely valid, that that depends a lot on the club. For example, Depor, who, you know, disclaimers are eternal rival, and I'm <laughs> obviously <laughs> don't have the warmest feelings towards them, uh, is hundreds of millions of euros in debt. Uh, well, hundreds, no, but just over 100 million euros in debt. So obviously, their financial reward, uh, their financial motivation for going up to La Liga is huge. Because they get cut in on that pie of, of TV revenue, of, yeah. you know, all the attractive things that, that La Liga, well, the first division of La Liga brings. Whereas there are some clubs that are more healthy financially, like, not to brag, but Celta, for example, has no debt. Uh, I think it would be able to handle a relegation from a financial point of view a lot better than other clubs. Um, so I think it's, it's not that I disagree with what you're saying, but it also, incentivizes clubs uh, not to accumulate massive debt and to be a little smarter with their money. Well, I was going to say, I think if you compare these figures to what you see in, in England, the thing is that in England, if you look at the, at the championship sides, I mean, none of them are making money, right? I mean, all of these guys are going hugely into debt because they're trying to catch the, <laughs> the um they're they're trying to catch the prize which is uh-huh. which is if they can get to the first division if they can or if they can get to the to the um premier league 
the fact that they've got a hundred million in, in debt is something that they can wipe off over time, even though they've got to spend a bunch of money on players because they get such a big portion of that TV deal. And I think the, in Spain, it, it's, it's less of an incentive for those, for those teams to overspend. I mean, I think Depor's debt is really more historically being in the, in the, in the top division and failing than it is um, trying to spin big and, and get back. And so I guess I can see advantages and disadvantages to both of them. Um, it does seem to me that it's really hard to ask a team that's getting, um, you know, four or five million in TV revenues to um, to really be able to compete against a team getting getting 50 but a team getting 20 I don't know maybe maybe it's not not so bad down there I mean the segunda does seem fairly competitive and you know no, I, I think segunda um, is very different from the championship in England there, there is a lot less money there is a mm-hmm. lot less uh, media attention but there's a lot of really good soccer played there and it's a very competitive league. Uh, I'm going to look at the table right now because I believe the difference between like the last promotion spot and relegation is like insanely uh, tight right now. I'm I'm, I'm going to look right now just to have the exact number, but there's a lot of good soccer played there. And, um, you know, I wish it got more attention than it did. Well, I can tell you from the year that, um, 2012-13 when Virial were in, were in it, it's, it is very difficult because you tend to have, it's always very tight. And I think it's partly because you have a lot, you have a lot of teams without a lot of money, but with a lot of skilled players and a lot of players who are have played for years in the Primera and maybe they're older now and they're losing a step, but they still got the smarts, you know, mm-hmm. it, and, and of course the season lasts forever. I mean, it's 46 games and then you've got playoffs if you get into those. So it's, it's, um, a really difficult, a really difficult league. I think not to say that the championship isn't either, but I think probably you could look at the championship um, I think it's probably easier to win your way back quickly from the championship than from the Segunda, I would, I would think. I would agree. And just to uh, give, 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 give numbers for what I said earlier. So actually Elche, who is in the last uh, really, or, uh, promotion playoff spot won last weekend, so the gap's a little higher. Uh, but, for example, the gap between 7th, Mirandes, which interestingly – uh, had, well, they have a great story. They beat us in Copa del Rey and then got to the semifinal. Beat us too. Um, they, yep, that's right. That, yeah, you're absolutely right. I had forgotten about that. So they're they're seven yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're we're all reliving painful memories here. Right. Uh, so so they're in seventh place, one spot below the promotion playoff playoffs, but they're also seven points away from uh, relegation. So that tells you everything you need to know about uh, Segunda right there. Yeah, and, it, and it's so hard. I I think the thing that w- when we went up, what I went I went back and looked at at our at our season not too long ago for something I was writing, and I was just amazed at how um, 
we went through a long period of time without losing, but boy, there were a lot of tough games in there and there were a lot of draws and, and everything. It's, it's, it's really hard to just rip off four or five wins in a row in the Segunda. It just doesn't yeah, happen. That, that is something that is absolutely true about Segunda. There are so many draws. It's insane. I mean, I mean, really, when you Maybe look at some, this, some of these numbers. Like six games in a row, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, yeah. Rayo, who was in uh, Primera last season, has played 30 games this year. They've drawn 16 of them. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's just insane. And there are lots of teams, you know, Mirandes has got 15 draws. Um, Ponferradina, 13. Alcorcón, 14. I mean, that it is a brutal league. Yeah. It, it, it is, and it's, and it's, and if you want to, you know, we love to complain about the referees in the first division, but boy, then you got those. <laughs> I mean, the second <laughs> division is, is, has got its second division of everything, right? Right, exactly. So it's, it's, it's got a number of, uh, of issues, shall we say. Um, all right, I'm going to, we're going to take a quick little break and then when we come back, I want to talk to Ian a little bit about what it's like being a, being a Celta fan these days and, and, uh, and we can talk about Iago Aspas, <laughs> which I know he would love to yes, talk about. Yes, please. Yes, yeah. please. All right. So just a minute. Okay. So, um, so yeah, we've, so we've talked about the Segunda and Primera. I don't know that we've, we've gotten a real good answer, but I also, but I think we've kind of established some of the things that maybe make Spain unique and maybe make it not so simple as to just say, well, let's throw more money at this and, and it'll be solved. But I wanted yeah. to talk again about, um, about what it's like, what it's been like being a Celta fan over the last few years because it's been kind of a roller coaster. <laughs> and, uh, last year and, and, uh, I think especially. Yes, it was last year. Um, so I, I think we mentioned this at the start of the podcast. I, I moved to Vigo in the fall of 2016, uh, which, uh, to get, to get attached to Celta and to soccer in general was a great time. Uh, those, those were the days of, uh, Europa League soccer for us. We made it to the semifinal that year, losing in heartbreaking fashion to Manchester United. Made it to the semifinal of the Copa del Rey that year and, and, you know, with, you know, our, our, our attention kind of focused on those two competitions. Uh, still didn't struggle to to stay up in the league or anything. Um, the next year was a little bit of a downer in the sense that we were only really focused on La Liga, but we still stayed up comfortably. Uh, but last year was different. Last year, um, it, you know, there there were a lot of factors in play. Iago Aspas' injury played a part. Um, uh, a, a turnstile of coaches that that weren't necessarily prepared for the demands of La Liga played a part. Uh, but then, um, y- you know, it's like, like the story, right? Aspas rose from the tomb, um, <laughs> took us back, uh, kind of uh, sparked the team, and, and we kind of uh, miraculously were able to stay up in La Liga, which, um, you know, kind of, when you think about it, is a little bit strange, right? Because... Um, you know, Salta fans were just insanely celebrating finishing 17th, but you know, that's, that's the beauty of, of, of soccer, right? Relegation happens. And if you stay up, you're super happy. So, uh, the, the atmosphere in Balaidos, uh, our stadium was unforgettable. Um, I hate to bring it up, but 
the game that started it all was the uh, the famous comeback against Villarreal when we went down uh, two to nothing, and then Aspas mm-hmm. scored two goals. Maxi Gomez also got one, and, and we kind of Gosh, won he's just bringing up there. all the good stuff today. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you got you guys were nice enough to invite me on, so I I, uh, I, yeah. I had to to return your kindness somehow. <laughs> well, we, we, but, we should pull we should have pulled that tape of us winning five nil or what it was, right? Five one or whatever. <laughs> but but yeah, that's true. It was it was a um, I think I think a lot of the problems last year, well, or part of them, were were Aspas's injury, which you know. Um, made it very, very difficult when he was out. But yes, that, that 3-2 come from behind victory where we were ahead 2-0 at the half, I think. And, and of course, we pretty much had the same, um, situation that you did. Yeah, where yeah, we, yeah, yeah. At, at, the, at that point in the season, it was late March. Um, yeah. Everybody, everybody was shocked that Villarreal and Celta were in the situations that they were. And, you know, um, I remember, uh, after, I believe it was after Aspa scored the penalty. Of course, I was in the stadium. Uh, but then when I got home and, and, you know, saw highlights on the internet, after he scored that penalty, I remember the, uh, the announcer of the Spanish broadcast of the game, you know, was just like, wow, you know, these scenes in Vigo are incredible right now. And then the other guy interjects and says, but what, what, what are the people in Villarreal thinking now? <laughs> like, yeah, right. They just saw, they just saw a two, two zero lead evaporate before their eyes and now they're, uh, looking like prime relegation candidates, but fortunately we both stayed up and, yep. and and we survived to tell the tale. Well, yeah, and and if you go back, um, I mean, I I was saying to Zach that I think the first time I was really aware of of La Liga generally or or um, other teams in it besides Barcelona and Real Madrid was. You know, teams like Celta that would get into Europe and, you know, turn of the, turn of the century, Celta had the, had a number of really good years. I think they finished in the top six or seven, five years in a row, finished fourth, got into the Champions League, and then that year they were relegated. And, and Villarreal did that very same thing about five years later. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Villarreal and, and Celta are, very similar clubs in a lot of senses. Um, yeah, I think Celta so. with a no offense, but with a little bit more history in the in the league and stuff. But two clubs of similar statues that have kind of had um, you guys later in the decade, uh, but and well going into the 2010s as well. But kind of a similar recent history. Yeah, I think I think the one difference is we haven't had the um, ownership changes that that Celta has had, but. Um, but in general, yes. I mean, it, it, even when Celta went down, they came back up, finished sixth the next year, got into Europe again. We went down, got into Europe next year, finished sixth. The difference was we stayed up after that, and and you guys didn't. But it's um, it's yeah, there are two teams that are, I think are both very likable um, for a neutral because they're um, they're. There are success stories in in parts of the country that people don't usually think about. Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, yeah. yeah. No, um, Galicia is definitely kind of a forgotten corner of this of this uh, of this country, and so um, you know, a lot of people, like you say, it's hard to dislike Celta and it's hard to dislike Villarreal. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I I think they're two clubs that actually get quite a bit of 
of of sympathy around the country. Kayan <laughs> bien, as they say here, they people seem to like them. Kayan bien. <laughs> right. <laughs> Zach, did you have something? Well, I just yeah, I I, I it's one of those things that. Um, you get players like Diego Aspas, and when he's playing against you, you like hate his guts for absolutely 90 minutes. Like you can't stand him. You want everything he does to fail. And then the next week, you happen to just flip on a Celtic game, and you're like, "Holy cow, this guy is awesome! I love him. Look at this heroic performance. You know, everything else." And it's kind of that thing where um, I think in both cases with Celtic and Real, you've got two fiscally responsible clubs that are plugged into their communities and have made waves in Europe without having to become, you know, so brand focused that they lose what, you know, makes them special. And I, you know, to me, that's the cool, that's the cool part of the sport. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I do think, I do think that the big business and the, the sides that run the Champions League every year, like, I do think they kind of create a platform for the rest of us to function on in a way. But but what really makes the sport special is is that next that next tier down where you've got the clubs that still stand for their community but can also play some really really great football. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know a big, big part of what I think is so special about being a Celta fan, and I imagine uh, would also apply to to Villarreal supporters. It's just it's such a, a community feeling, right? Like. Um, you know, I know people who, who knew Yago Aspas when he was a kid, who, who, who coached against him in youth league. I know people who, who have been going to games, uh, you know, with their parents since, um, you know, for, for decades and decades who have been there, um, you know, when Celta was in the second division, who have been there when they were in champions league. So people who have seen it all, but have, but have stuck behind the team, uh, in thick and thin. And, and I think that's really a really special thing. I think I think that's right. I think we see that with um with Paul Torres this year for us that he's he's kind of um like Aspas in that he's he's a very local boy. You know, we we haven't historically had that many um local players um come through, but he's he certainly is and I think it's it's neat when you see same deal. You see people talk about, you know, showing pictures of him playing as a six-year-old or something against against the team they were coaching it's it's really neat um you know i i think it's the only the only criticism i have of of uh, celta is that every time we watch a match from there it's raining <laughs> <laughs> it it is uh a wet place that is for sure um surprisingly it's been sunny this week which um you know makes it Cruelly, uh, coincidental considering the current situation in this country. Uh, mm. but yeah, it rains a lot here. It rains quite a bit. And, um, uh, actually the, the, the week after we played you guys last season in the famous, uh, comeback victory, we hosted Real Sociedad. And I don't know if you guys might remember that game. Uh, but I have never been wetter or colder in my life than I was in Baraidos that day. Just an absolute downpour. Like, I, I was expecting Noah and the Ark to pull up at any second. Uh, but it was worth it because we won and Yago Aspas scored two goals. So, um, Galicia is very, 
uh, different than the rest of the country in a lot of ways. The weather's one, the people's two, the, 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 the culture and, and food are others, other ways that, that, you, you know, you won't see a lot of, um, you know, typical Spanish things. Uh, but yeah, it does rain a lot here. Um, right. It's, it's a good thing I, I like it or else if not, I wouldn't have stayed here. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on, Ian. We really, we really appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, taking the time out of, I was going to say taking the time out of your busy day, taking the time out of, <laughs> out of what, yeah, I don't know what you want to call what we got going on here. But. Busy, not so much. Uh, the, the big word in Spain these days is uh, telecommuting. So uh, right. that, that's what my past few days have consisted of, working at uh, home. Very good. <laughs> All right. Zach, you got any last words there from North Carolina? I've just, I've really appreciated you coming on. It's been a good diversion in the middle of an afternoon where I, I definitely needed one. And, uh, and then ho- hopefully we can find some other way to engage her. I think I'm going to start watching more old matches because I'm so starved for sports right now that I'm watching marble races on the internet. So I got to start doing something. <laughs> well, thanks. Thank, thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, a great way to kind of break up the monotony of of this uh, <laughs> lockdown quarantine experience. So thank you for yeah. having. Me. We'll we'll have to do it again in the future. Yeah, we'll have to do it again when we actually have a game to talk about. <laughs> yeah, hopefully hopefully it's not too long from now, but uh, that'll be the first one we have coming up after all this ends. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll be sure to get together again uh, when the time comes. Okay, that sounds great. Well, for Ian and Zach, this is Alan Endevant Virial. Stay safe, everybody.